Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In with Feeling Edition. I'm your host, Tyler Hannon. Uh, we are usually your podcast on the IMDb 250, except that little with feeling at the beginning means that Kayla, my co-host, is out and someone else is in, and we are discovering some kind of movie, topic, or review that is outside the 250. Uh, you probably know that already. The reason I'm talking to you before our song is because this is one of our test recordings. When... We were first returning to the podcasting landscape. This is a conversation with one of our favorite guests, one of our most eloquent guests, and one of my favorite people on this planet, Kyle Minton, as we discuss uh, Netflix, how they treat their movies, and how they're uh, murdering movies, but also saving movies, I think. I'm pretty sure we come down on a definite answer, probably. And after that, we review this movie, uh, a Netflix original movie called The Discovery, which you've probably already forgotten about but we get into that and we have a lot of feelings on it uh that starts about 25 minutes in, and then at 35 minutes and you can hear me lose my damn mind we didn't have the introduction down yet so that's why i'm here right now and that's why i will be back at the end for all the good footnotes Today, I brought in an old friend. Uh, he's got dulcet tones. He's a longtime friend, former co-host on several different podcasts. Uh, I don't know. He's got all kinds of cra- You know, he's the best video editor I've ever known in my life. Only okay. one of those things you're listing is true, and I'm going to leave it up to the audience to figure out which one. He's also a longtime member of the Church of Scientology. Uh, he's... A big fan, big fan of, I don't know, what are you a big fan of? Like apples? Like apples and peanut butter? That's one of my favorite snacks. Do you like those? What is your preferred snack? What snack should I introduce you with? We, we've already lost all the listeners because you announced that Kayla wasn't here and I'm here instead. Oh, you know, I really got to. That is a lot like starting a movie podcast and hearing about snacks. So, you know, I empathize. <laughs> I understand. Goodbye, listeners. I'm sorry. So, uh, actually, listeners, Kayla's totally here. She'll be stepping in soon. Uh, just stay. Don't skip ahead, but, like, if you want to turn it up to, like, 1.5 speed, that's that's fair. You I'm know, actually just... Kayla with a voice mask on. Um, she's just practicing some voice work. So if you just pretend I'm her, it'll, it'll all work out. She's very tired of being so popular on the Internet. So, you know, she's going through a little Joaquin Phoenix in the 2000s thing where she's trying a lot of performance art. Um and by she, I mean you on the other end of the line. And by performance art, you mean Paramore. Yeah. Uh, actually, Kayla's dead. Paramore killed her. I, <laughs> I didn't want to make Haley Williams. I didn't want to make a big deal about it. You know, she died doing what she loved, right. uh, listening to Paramore on Windows Media Player. Anyways, with me today is Kyle Minton. I'm I'm here. I'm here to talk about the discovery. That's true. Our topic today is The Discovery, the 2017 Netflix film released exclusively on Netflix, directed by Charlie McDowell. This is Charlie McDowell's second film, following his feature debut, The One I Love, from a few years ago. A well-regarded little sci-fi movie. So good. It is really good, which is part of why 
we decided to talk about this today, despite the fact that this is kind of a lukewarm take. It's been a little while. I was very excited for this movie. It's starring Let the Right Films in All-Star Rooney Mara, who, I mean, praise be, except for when she's in Pan. We don't we don't talk about Pan. Pan didn't happen. This this movie starred Rooney Mara, Robert Redford, Jason Segel. Uh, another, which seemed like a very cool sci-fi premise, kind of in the same... In the same vein of the one I love in that, you know, it's like this intimate sci-fi movie with some excellent actors diving into this little, into this cool idea that we hadn't really seen executed on film before, or so I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> but we'll get into that. We're going to start broader. We'll start bigger with Netflix. Netflix has obviously been making waves in both TV and film for the past few years, really upsetting uh, the paradigm, how we consider television, movies, uh, basically single-handedly making binge-watching the go-to activity for, I don't know, folks around the world. Television has typically picked up more cultural steam than their movies, and this is an interesting year for them as they have picked up several great movies, many of which have dropped already and then quickly disappeared from the cultural conversation, including this one. Yeah, this one vanished. I, I think my excitement levels mirrored its appearance on Netflix of like, oh, I saw it once, never saw anyone talk about it ever again. So I think once that happened, I kind of realized, oh, this might not be what I'm hoping for. But I was still, I don't know, I was still optimistic. I had hope. You know, I try really hard to not let, um, while, while taking into account these outside factors and review, early reviews, I still want to try to go in with a with an open mind. One, the biggest beef that most filmmakers or I guess film critics more often, at least more vocally, because they don't make money from Netflix so they can speak out a little louder. One of their biggest issues with Netflix is the marketing for the movies, whereas the TV shows uh, seem to have a longer life. See, early on, Orange is the New Black, most recently, 13 Reasons Why, for both good and ill. Um, The movies tend to disappear. The first big movie that Netflix had was Beasts of No Nation. It got no Oscar nominations and then kind of disappeared from the cultural conversation. Uh, I can't say I've even heard it mentioned within the context of Netflix very often recently. Uh, this year, Netflix has bought several uh, several movies that either have turned out to be great or have great names attached to them, like uh, this movie, The Discovery, uh, Small Crimes, I Don't Feel a Homeless World Anymore, Oak Okia from Bong Joon-ho, uh, the Brad Pitt one, War, War Machine from David Michonne. It, they picked up a lot of big movies, and so this is coming up a lot more. Yeah, and it's it's my understanding that this has caused a lot of hubbub. Uh, hubbub? That's a word. Um, hubbub is a great word. Yeah, sure. Love hubbub. Um, with movie writers, in particular, the way that Netflix has not marketed these films, and I don't know how I feel about that particularly because I don't feel at home at this world anymore and the discovery has kind of been swallowed up by this conversation. I can't even think of those films without first thinking about how often they've been written about in context of Netflix pushing or not pushing movies. You did more of the research into this than I did. I read the David uh, David Elrich. Um, David Ehrlich. Ehrlich. Sorry. Sorry to David. Uh, uh, David's fine. Yeah. Yeah, David's okay. I th- he's doing well for himself. I think he'll be okay. Um yeah, his look into Netflix basically burying these films. And to me, his argument 
it didn't hold water as someone who just sort of casually enjoys Netflix. I'm not a, I'm not a movie writer. I'm, I love movies. I read about them all the time. So of course I knew I don't, I don't feel at home with the world anymore. It was coming out because I had been paying attention to the news, not because I expected Netflix to tell me about it. And my problem with his argument that Netflix buries these is that of course Netflix prioritizes TV. TV is a longer form that people can grow attached to, that they can have relationships with characters, that they can then profit off even more. Movies are very rarely built for sequels, especially not the films that they're building up. You know, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It's not something going to become a huge franchise for Netflix versus Stranger Things, which captured the entire cultural attention of America last year last year yeah so last summer somehow uh despite the world slowly ending um and i i think that matters because again like orange is the new black what did it have it had characters you could attach yourself to for seasons upon seasons it makes sense that that is surfaced while movies like this kind of fade away because they're movies most people experience them once and then they move on and unfortunately i think movies <laughs> movies can't really do much about that. They are generally an hour and a half to two hours long. Uh, they don't often spawn sequels, and if they do, they take a lot longer than a uh, second season of TV to come out. We as consumers spend less time with them, and so they're much more likely to we're much more likely to forget them sooner than say a television show we loved and spent an entire weekend uh, with an, that whole television show. Um, I I yeah. I mean, what, what what do you feel about his complaints? I, I think that they come from a very film-centric and film-enthusiast uh, viewpoint, which makes sense. He writes about movies. Um, but I think for the average person, that's not going to be the case, right? So Netflix has clearly set out uh, that they're, they basically treat all their content equally. Uh, you're going to – everything that pops up on – in any of the categories you look through on your homepage – um, recommended for your list. All that stuff is built on al- algorithms based on what you've seen before. So, well, I don't know that that's true because, uh, in terms of Netflix sponsored content, true. because that services more. Okay. Um, let me let me, re- let me let me restate that then. I would say Netflix doesn't treat all their content equally. Obviously, they push their original stuff more. They push the more popular titles more. Um, but in general, it doesn't seem like they're giving special attention to certain things. Obviously, the very big things, like the House of Cards Season 5, there's advertising and marketing for that everywhere. But especially with these smaller festival movies, they just appear on Netflix, and any a lot of the marketing is built on, uh, kind of built on the film criticism structure that's already in place based on these movies. Uh, starting at festivals, they probably get the most promotion they ever get at festivals. And so... I think between the way that Netflix conducts its business and the nature of TV versus movies, it creates this disadvantage for these small festival movies when they come to Netflix. I think some of it's a bit overblown. People will say, this movie just came out today. Why isn't, why isn't like the banner on my feed? I, I don't know. I think I, I feel some of it's overblown. Can I purchase from a different point and ask your opinion on something? Yeah. When was the last time that you used some sort of digital interface and you thought wow this is so easy and simple to navigate hmm because i think the root there are a few websites (laughs) yeah i mean uh, yeah but it was specifically like 
tools or services that you use? Because I can't think of a single one in my life that I use and don't have at least like a dozen criticisms on of like, oh, this would be so much faster if this was structured this way. Um, I just get used to it, right? I just know how to navigate their flaws. And look, I'm not a UI designer. I'm not a UI expert. But I will say that Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, HBO Go, it doesn't matter where you go. Their web websites are more or less pretty cumbersome. And Netflix has a huge amount of content. And it's despite the fact it's, uh, you know, cleaned out a lot of the content that used to be there in favor of original content, there is still a lot there to sift through. It's really hard to do that. It's exorbitantly hard for them to even surface the stuff that you're interested in, let alone organize it in a way that makes sense. So I think a lot of this has to do with there is a lot of stuff in the world to consume. It is very, very hard to sort through it. And I, I, every time I open up Netflix, I'm like, wow, there is so much happening right now. I wish that this was laid out in a way that I didn't have to scroll through these dumbass carousels. I feel like that has a lot to do with this argument. I think that's part of it. And I think another part of it isn't even a concrete thing. It's just the sense that these movies tend to disappear and people are frustrated by that. And a lot of the frustration that stems from that isn't even coming from a place where they have concrete ways to improve that. It's just this isn't working the way I think it should work. I don't know how it's not my job, but they should fix it. Yeah, I also feel like there are echoes of the same argument you get about every, what, five years of like, oh, well, X is killing off movies. X is going to be the death of movies. Netflix, obtaining movies and bury them is going to ruin movies. I do feel like there's a bit of that panic built into it. And that's why I actually found uh, a follow-up column almost more interesting. And granted, this guy had the benefit of being the response column, not the, first, not the one going out there on the line in the first place, from their box office reporter. I'm going to butcher his name, Tom Brugman. Oh. But he... Uh, basically wrote a response column that I, I liked it. It didn't have some of the concrete information I was hoping for, but Netflix doesn't give out a lot of that. But it basically makes the points that, you know, Netflix is not some evil that's dooming movies. It's it's the next evolution in technology. And in many ways, it can could be seen as the savior of movies. It has its, basically, you know, it has its upsides and its downsides. It's good at some things, but bad at others. It's not necessarily that great at marketing movies, but Netflix can pay for these niche niche, I always forget. I believe it's niche. <laughs> these niche films mm -hmm. that that probably wouldn't make much box office, but because they're just adding to a content library, it's okay if they technically take a loss on that because it can't even really measure the loss. Um, they can spend a bunch of money on these interesting movies that won't have as wide of an audience because they're padding out their content library to appeal to as many people as possible. So they're are more possibilities with Netflix than there might be otherwise in that sense. Um, there are a bunch of interesting points there. I will have it. I will have both of those columns as well as a couple others linked to the show notes. But one of, I think one of the big things I took from it is that Netflix is not seeking to kill movies. They might be changing them irrevocably. I think there's, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not totally, I love seeing movies in the theaters. I love having the chance to see them in like a local theater, but a lot of that, these movies, I wouldn't have that chance anyways. And Netflix is invested in movies. Like TV shows might be where they make the most, but they are invested in uh, purchasing movies in financing movies. In many ways, they're supporting the movie industry. They're just not supporting the theater industry. I've heard the, the last year and a half, you said this actually, 
quite a bit on what the right films in of of Amazon Prime had such a great selection of indie films um, that you just weren't finding anywhere else. And so I imagine that Netflix was feeling it in the competition. I mean, that it is getting crowded. I mean, you've got Hulu making a huge push for it with Handmaid's Tale um, and the the live t- TV stuff. Netflix needed to present something. I mean, they've got the TV front down, right? Everyone is ready for Stranger Things. Everyone, you know, they've got their hooks into everyone in terms of what seasons they'll pay attention to and so on and so forth. And offering something to the hardcore movie fan, there's a huge hubbub of when Netflix tanked its backlog in favor of the original content. I think that was last year where people just started noticing, like, there's nothing on Netflix anymore. And so by getting these indie releases, these festival runs where you... Look, I live in a, a pretty rural area. I would not be able to see most of these movies in the theater because they would never come here. I would have to wait until they're on demand. And if I can get them on the service that I already have, great. Wonderful. Thank you, Netflix. I don't care if you bury them. Just put them on there because, <laughs> look, I wasn't going to see the Discovery. I, re- I probably never would have watched it until it came out and I rented it a year from now. Uh, so I'm, I appreciate it in that sense, but... I do take issue with the fact that every one of these little articles talking about Netflix bearing movies used the same Rooney Mara thumbnail from the Discovery, <laughs> but never mentioned the Discovery because no one liked it. Uh, <laughs> and maybe we can transition to that because I just found that really funny. I'm like, oh, okay, she's like the biggest star that Netflix has in these independent films. Let's put her on the thumbnail, but um, we're not going to talk about the Discovery because it's not very good. You know, I I just think that's a big disservice to Melanie Linsky, uh, action star of I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Uh, I know. I agree. Uh, I just, I, you know, part of me is sad we didn't pick that movie to watch because I love that movie. I want Macon Blair to have all the success and to make all the money. But I didn't want to uh, ruin that movie with my commentary. I wanted to ruin the discovery with my commentary. You know, that's fair. If we're going to stumble over something, let's stumble over something that's already stumbling over itself. Absolutely. Mm. And I guess we'll just wrap up the Netflix thing in a nice little bow with a very obvious statement. It's almost like the technology is changing exponentially and we are in the midst of we're in the midst of how we consume content evolving. And so there are going to be issues along the way. I think as long as there are multiple services and Netflix isn't the only player in the game, and as long as we're actually you know, t- talking about these things and putting our money where our mouth is, as long as there's actually that reason for these companies to improve or adjust or I don't entirely change what they're doing, uh, I don't want to say things will just work themselves out, but I, th- I think that's positive. We have Netflix is the heavyweight, but there are all these other options, both the big ones like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, and the smaller ones like Shutter and um, Filmstruck and some of these more specialty M- movies. Movie, yes. And I, as long as we have all these options, and I hope those smaller ones are financially viable because I think they're very valuable. I love them. I think <laughs> it's part of capitalism. As long as there's uh, as long as there's competition there's more investment in these companies to improve. So always love. Yeah. Love the capitalism. (laughs) I I feel like a lot of this is just like howling into the void, but you know, as long as we keep howling, they'll definitely listen to us. Yeah. Companies love us. Yep. That's how it works. Yep. If you yell at companies, they will definitely change things in your favor at Netflix. Push those movies up, bro. So basically, well, we're all going to die. Uh, but if you love something, talk about it and share it with others because that's, in the end, the best way to get more people to watch the thing you like. You just summed up the story of the Discovery. 
yeah. have to talk about it now. No, we don't. You know, it, it might be better this way. But too bad, Kyle. I uh, I brought you on here to suffer with me. No. So now that we are done chasing, at least now that I'm done chasing my tail about Netflix and how it's definitely killing cinema, but saving cinema, but also it's the worst thing ever that I am glad to have in my life every day. You know what? I, I can't. I, I feel like we had several good opportunities to transition to the discovery, and I've just like murdered every single one. I have passed it into the afterlife to go on to its next life to fix all these terrible transitions that I'm making in the moment. Ah, oh, you know what? You know what? I am, I am, I am as clumsy as the discovery is right now. Let's just get into it. So, when I saw the one I love, <laughs> I, re- <laughs> I, I thought it was a really tight knit movie. I thought it was emotionally engaging, uh, an alert of of how people act in a relationship. Um, if maybe a bit cartoonish, uh, mm. it was still very good though. And it's been a few years since I've seen it, so I don't know. Looking back on it now, I've changed since then. I don't know if maybe I'd be more sensitive to some of the dialogue that was in it, the way that I was with the discovery. I have no idea, um, but I remember it very fondly. The discovery had a much less favorable impact on me the moment I began watching this. And I don't know, do you want to paint the opening scene of the discovery? Because I don't know about you, for me, the first, I don't know, what, two minutes of this movie said a lot to me right off the bat. Uh, I'm, You know, I'm so tempted to just take the first part of your statement and go into what made the one I love an excellent little movie. But I'm going to, I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to, and take the, uh, the harder path that is dis- <laughs> that is the discovery. I'll start with a quick summary and then get into the first scene and really just help ease listeners into what this movie is. I mean, the uh, summary is the first scene. I guess like, so. It's a nice bit of exposition, you know. That's but Robert Redford is a scientist who has proved the afterlife exists. He's not proved uh, what that afterlife is, but just that. We go somewhere when we die. He's been able to monitor it somehow. And this leads to a rash of suicides because now that people know there is a better place that they're going to, or, you know, that's not even true. Now now that there is another place that they're going to, in the assumption that that place will be better than where they currently are. That number has gone into, what is it, the hundreds of thousands? Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't. Something recall. like that. It just uh, <laughs> scads of people. Basically, the movie starts by saying a ton of people have committed suicide because of this. And now, months later, he has finally come out to give an interview in which he will uh, decline taking any responsibility for what has happened. And I guess it isn't really a spoiler because it is the first two minutes. As he's giving the interview, uh, we see one of the cameramen walk up and shoot himself in the head. We're going to spoil the hell out of this movie, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to spoil the hell out of it. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Making sure. We we see the cameraman kill himself. There is a blood spray. The interviewer freaks out. We see Robert Redford look very thoughtful, uh, kind of looking off into the distance as we hear people freaking out in the background. And then we get the title card. The Discovery. But, but before that, it just it begins with the most ham-fisted exposition of telling you exactly what's going on in this world. You found things in this movie ham-fisted. Yeah. What? There's a there. Okay, the, the I think the hard part for me is that this is my perfect movie in that it is a uh, indie film about sci-fi uh, that it has light sci-fi elements. I shall say, um, 
mostly about interpersonal drama. So it's using sci-fi as a device to explore interconnected or uh, interpersonal relationships. Love it. And it stars Rooney Mara. Yeah. Upstream Color is my favorite movie. Love Eternal Sunshine Spotless Mind. Um, this is this is my shit. Mm-hmm. I found it so disingenuous at every turn. Um, incapable of engaging with its the the topics it brings up. It never actually engages the idea of suicidal ideation, despite uh, despite beginning with one um, and the entire movie being sort of based around religion and suicide. Never really engages either. Uh, and and to begin to begin this movie with such a weighty topic of such a a kind of an interesting premise, and then just begin with Robert Redford being talked to, is so dull. And in the interview, there's an interview with Charlie McDowell and, and Justin later, um, Jeffrey Goldsmith, and they're mentioning when they first wrote the script, they weren't going to have the guy kill himself. They were just going to have the exposition. Like they wrote that so that you could see it. I was like, well, I can't. I can't imagine this movie just opening with that interview. Ooh, that's uh. Because it is such a, uh, yeah, it is such a negative introduction, I, I think, because it, it there's some, there something about the delivery of just, this is a very stale and boring way to introduce the idea that the entire world is killing themselves off in hopes it, of a better life. It's not that different from voiceover or starting a movie with uh, clips of newscasters or something like that. It, it's a very straightforward way to introduce the premise of the movie. And I think part of the problem is that Robert Redford looks like he's doing a favor for Charlie McDowell or for uh, for Malcolm McDowell throughout this entire movie. He is the most he, bored. He's barely present. Um, it's <laughs> he is physically there. Uh, he's Robert Redford, so you know it's technically capable everything he's doing, but no engagement at all. <laughs> so he it is the most stone the entire time. If I'm completely it, honest, like it, I he was more engaging in Pete's Dragon. Like that's a cold like that's technical that's a cold open that leads the movie and it is the most boring and it doesn't actually pique my engagement at all partially cuz I knew what the movie was about going in but it doesn't I don't know like this movie has a handful of interesting ideas that it approaches the most like you said ham-fisted and least interesting way possible and every time I think it's about to do something clever it really doubles down on that small point to say Look how clever this is! And what- yeah, so 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 Robert Redford plays as Thomas Harper, as you mentioned, the guy who reveals that there's a afterlife, and so we f- we follow Will Harper, played by Jason Siegel, who for whatever reason, or well, we find out later, um, runs into Rooney Mara on a ship, which is just, I mean, off the bat, we have Eternal Sunshine vibes of just guy on guy on vehicle uh, encounters the quirky. Uh, young woman with dyed hair um, who is a bit smarmy with him. Um, like, right off the bat, like, very directly uh, r- relatable to that. And so I, I was immediately suspicious. I was like, okay, I like what you're pulling from. I think you're doing it uh, a bit too blatantly, but sure. And it kind of just, it doesn't spiral. It just sort of coasts from there. And it, again, like, never really engaging with itself or really truly with any of its characters and it was a lot like watching an M. Night Shyamalan film for me. Oh, man. I don't even know if I'd give it that. I think part of the problem with the discovery is like it has an interesting idea and capable people, but it is neither 
uh, as revelatory or as interesting as it could be, but it's also not a disaster. It's just boring, which I think is this movie's worst crime is it's just boring. I think the ending is a disaster. I don't even I don't even know where to tackle it from here in that they rendered Rooney Mara, one of my favorite actresses, even in films that I don't like, um, always capable of great performance. She is the how you put it as the damaged uh, manic pixie dream girl. I know that term is faded um, from Vogue and, and does not use that often, but it fits so perfectly here. She's really given no other purpose in the story than to follow Will around and try to gain some sort of understanding of his father's experiments. But she never really engages in it that much. She just tags along. There's one bit of backstory that's given late in the movie with no context and is so ham-fisted yeah well it's key to the entire ending of the movie the entire ending the emotional the the emotional climax of the movie is hinged around this bit of backstory that's given about her that we are given no reason to care about and she and jason oh my god um i love jason siegel i think jason (laughs) siegel can do dramatic roles he is so bad in this in this terrible role this humorless dry boring ass dude yeah he yeah he's very inoffensive to the point of being offensive um <laughs> and he, he was very good in uh end of tour i i like him as a dramatic actor i've actually not seen many of his comedies so i kind of associate him with drama ironically more than i do comedy but um he has no purpose in this film he essentially goes to see his father about his work to try to stop him i think is the or not stop yeah. him but to yeah just to try to make him own up to what he's done because there is this rash of suicides and he goes to realize that his father has started a cult in this estate um he also which is, blames his father for the death of his mother so he's got mom issues he's got dad issues and he thinks what his dad is doing is bad but as soon as he shows up it's like oh there's a slight twist a slight advance to it he just rolls with it because Rooney Mara's also there because reasons yeah and the entire film is so transparent of McDowell's interests and passions and and in some way I respect that you know take what you're passionate about translate into something new I get it you need to obfuscate it more than this um you know there are elements of the master in this that don't engage at all the idea of cults or what it really what really what it means to go along with a group of people following the same ideation that he uses uh, people in these cults as uh, comedic comedic tools. There's a guy that just speaks into recorder for no particular reason. That's his only personality. He's there for comic relief. At one point there is a, there is a, uh, a quest to get a body, to get a cadaver to practice <laughs> on, to see if they can see the hour, which I don't follow the science of at all because if a body that is dead no longer contains a soul, right? That was the whole thesis of the movie. So I don't understand how a body can reach the afterlife. I missed that part somewhere. It's, it's the same reason that anything in this movie happens. It's because the plot demands it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's like a key death at some point in this movie that happens because reasons, uh, um, the, that, the character motivation. No how do you have a film about suicide that has absolutely no consequence? None. Yeah. Not at all. Like, doesn't doesn't engage with the idea of you're ending your life. What does this mean? There is a there is a good line, maybe one of the only good lines in this film. Of I see a lot of people jumping out of airplanes, thinking they'll grow wings. That's a that's a nice 
that's a nice engagement of this idea. And it doesn't go any further than that beyond going, I think these people are wasting their lives when they should be doing something else. But instead, we get distracted by this plot of Robert Redford being this crazy scientist wanting to go into people's brains. And then they forget the in- Will Harper forgets his entire purpose of going to this island. I don't know that I'd even say tone is one of the top 10 problems with this movie, but it it is it wants to be this like in-depth intimate exploration of this concept and its consequences but it also has these weird elements of a quirky indie rom-com that surface just enough to really confuse me about whether i should find this adorable or heinous because people are committing suicide where rooney mara's character attempts to commit suicide but also now they're having a fun body heist thing it's the the body heist part was my favorite part because it was actually entertaining. And I was like, I want to watch this film. Where is this film from? Where did this is a completely separate thing to what I was just watching. So I don't understand what I'm supposed to be focused on here. Is it the humor? It's also the only moment that Jason Siegel and Rooney Mara have any chemistry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because there's yeah, almost no, this movie is entirely built on that relationship. It turns out. And, uh, You know, your movie is not going to work too well if it's hinged entirely on a relationship that doesn't work. Yeah, there's absolutely no chemistry between them um, from the very beginning. And I thought that they were going to go for a platonic connection because I would have accepted that. I think they would have played well as friends. And then as it inevitably, uh, you know, as the ice drifted off and her hand touched his i was like no what no because there is no hint of warmth from her until the plot demands it as you said everything is just forced by okay the story will happen now and so this this event will occur and these characters will react as we have ordained them to nothing flows organically um and the twist at the end is maybe i think we should just come out and say it because it, again it makes you consider the entire movie differently and not in a fun way, no. not in the way that Arrival does, not in the way that Prime, Primer does. And those are clearly influences on them, not Arrival so much because I don't, I, I think this movie was made before that movie came out, but um, Primer especially, which is a very dense movie that does not explain itself very well um, to its advantage. Uh, I think that's what makes it such a strong film. And this is the inverse of that. Uh, literally Rooney Mara be- just explains to Jason Siegel what's happening in this film. But it's not actually her. In that moment, she is actually a part of his subconscious. Yeah, so, oh, so Tower, just, just even... break it down. Break it break in like 30 seconds, sum up the end of this movie. Oh, dear God. Okay. <laughs> so they discover the afterlife is not actually a heaven or a hell or a purgatory or anything like that. When you die... Uh, you return to a, like a parallel. It doesn't even explain it that well, but you basically go to uh, a parallel universe uh, into a key moment in your life that you consider a great uh, that you regret. That is like the moment that you would want to go back and change. You are transported to that moment over and over again every time you die until you fix that moment. And then I guess you just go on to the next moment on the list. Uh and so we get to see Jason Siegel go back to the moment on the boat when he met Rooney Mara, when Rooney Mara explains to him, because she's a part of his subconscious, even though he's forgetting all these lives somewhere inside of him, he must know about these lives. 
So he's able to manifest Runimara to explain to himself that he has lived the same life over and over again, that he has failed several times to save her, and that he has now given her purpose, even though she still died, so he can go on to the next moment. Which, of course, is saving her son from dying. And then the final shot of the movie, it's like the fucking Revenant all over again. He turns, (laughs) he looks off into the distance, and you realize... Fuck, he remembers now. Oh my god, he must have so many emotions in his chest. And I say, fuck you. (laughs) Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. This movie makes me regret that other movies like Eternal Sunshine even exist. No. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. But it does make me like, oh my god. Oh. So, so those movies. Makes me so mad. This movie makes me so mad. No, I I feel you. So I think, look, my favorite movie of all time is. Upstream color. We have talked about that movie many times. That movie is baffling, and I think it works because it's baffling because it challenges the audience to follow it and uh, and succeeds as a result of that. I feel, but even something like Eternal Sunshine of its nonlinear narrative and and engaging with that and how do you navigate an emotional relationship through that? That is all through the confidence it has in its audience to follow without being spoken to, and so often in this movie you are just told exactly what is going to occur you're told how it's happening even if it doesn't make sense to you at the time you're still told about it um so not only is it confusing it's boring but then it breaks its own logic at the end because if you're traveling through moments of your life through parallel universes how does how does he get to the beach to save her son which is a moment that he's actually never experienced Uh, it's basically the afterlife is magical wish fulfillment yeah yeah, no, t- totally. Like, yeah, no heaven, no hell. You just get to live forever. Which, uh, oh my God. And then when they discover this, okay, all right. So we got to backtrack a bit. So, oh, this movie is garbage. Oh, I, don't, so I don't think it's garbage. I just think it's arranged really poorly. Okay. And it wants to explain itself constantly to its detriment. The reason I hate this movie so much is because it legitimately had potential. There is a good idea and there is talent involved and it is totally wasted. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, wow. It, now... The, oh, hmm. and so, we haven't even gotten to the part that every woman in this film is suicidal and depends on a man for emotional support. That's that's why, going back to the Manny Pixie Dream Girl thing, it's like, oh, we can't have women who fix men now, but we can have, we can have the woman who a man needs to fix and be va- like he finds validation by fixing her and now she has a reason to live <laughs> right yeah no and, and that i mean that in itself i feel like they should have known better i don't don't build rooney mars character with this suicidal ideation about her child only to be validated by jason siegel's existence like i'm sorry jason siegel i just don't i don't think that you qualify as a therapist in any term an unfunny and- humorless depressed jason siegel Siegel with daddy issues Uh, it's the complete package really and so you have lacy who um who is a i guess what's frustrating is that those roles could have been taken by men easily there is no argument for the fact that lacy could not have been toby toby is played by jesse Jesse Plemons, who's also totally wasted he but he's he is really good in this film and doesn't do anything his character he has problems with his father that are never explored. Uh, it would make more sense to me if he snapped. So what what occurs is that Lacey, who is one of the members of the cult, is ousted for a, like arbitrary reasons that are 
like hastily again hastily explained to us um and robert she redford can, is a scientist who's all about yep. the science but he's yep. also a cult leader who will turn on you a se- in a second yeah, if you betray them yeah so she comes back and shoots for Nimara for i don't know hold on no you, know, you need to backtrack to earlier in the film when there's an aside and she says you know like what if someone were to murder someone yeah. They just say that they were sending them to the next place. I'm like, that's a clever idea. I hope that isn't clunky foreshadowing. Oh. Yeah, no, I was like, you are Chekhov's gun in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are you are you are the gun. And then so she comes she back, she suits someone, she says, It's okay. She's passing on. Um, I don't know that there's any reason that she that Rooney Mara is the one she shot. Uh she doesn't shoot anyone else. She just comes back, she shoots the one person the entire plot is hinging upon, basically. And then they take her off to the side, and we never see her again. Yeah, I mean this this movie is solely focused on pushing its plot along. Yeah, um, and she actually is a tragic character because another interesting idea that doesn't go explored: her family basically had a suicide pact without her. Right. Oh, yeah. So, right. Yeah. So like her fa- she walks. She walked in. Uh, we we she says this and it's never touched on again. She walked in on her father and her sister who had killed themselves without her, who had passed on to the next life without her. Which, again, that is like a fascinating, grim idea that this then doesn't touch on at all. And so I think the lesson to take from here is if you're going to be inspired by great works of like light sci-fi. I mean, even I, I, I see the spirit of leftovers in this, which I've only seen season one, which I know isn't the leftovers to watch or whatever, but I, I liked it. Um, and that show did a really good job of how do you deal with people who have left you, people who have abandoned you and investigating the emotional toll that takes. And that's never t- I mean, that would be such an easy thing for for them to spin. Just slow down. spend one moment. Talk about that. Talk about what happens to the people who don't want to commit suicide, who are then left behind, which is what happens to Lacey. And she's just a note to push the plot along so that Jason Siegel and Rooney Mark can hold hands and, I don't know, fondle each other on a ferry. Like, I just don't understand. I don't understand why they wouldn't take a moment to explore the world, which is compelling. I am compelled by this world. I am compelled by the idea that you know, you can believe in an afterlife because I feel like so much of science fiction is so antagonistic to religion, right? And so antagonistic to the idea of anything that isn't hard sci-fi. So the idea of taking religious overtones and putting it in this context is compelling, right? Um, even if I'm not religious myself, I, I, I'm not opposed to that. And I think that's why something like The Leftovers works for me. Um, but there's no exploration of what it means to be religious and have this happen or what what suicide means to a person who who knows feeling that it, it just nothing is ever met honestly except for the plot Ugh. at this point i'm probably piling on like an unfunny how did this get made but the movie turns on the fact that they discover that the afterlife is a parallel universe wish fulfillment and then they immediately everyone says we got to destroy this which i just <laughs> which yeah, does I, like, I, nothing matters at that point right why would Robert Redford immediately want to destroy that? I can see why he like when the entire beginning of the film is built on him uh, being resolute about the facts and sharing the facts and like being science. But uh, and nothing changes throughout the whole movie. 
and then they just arbitrarily they figure out what it is they have to destroy it but oh no now the important female character who just appeared in our main character's life dies and you're never gonna believe what happens before they can destroy the machine oh god he goes to use it to bring her back because he loves her so much and that's his biggest regret now <sighs> you know it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful love tale people you know, yeah and people just turn tragic a, near yeah. misses People turn on a dime in this film uh, completely against their own established character interests, <laughs> which is so great. I mean, at one point, Rini Mara is walking into an ocean with a weight and then just doesn't try to kill herself again. She's just, nah. Eh, once was enough. I tried, but then Jason Siegel pulled me out of the ocean, so I thought, hmm, why try again? That's, you know, once was enough. Mental illness is uh, a very complicated thing, and I don't know if this is something they brought up. You could talk about how suicidal ideations last whatever amount of, amount of time, Ugh. but this movie has no respect for mental illness at all. No. Like, it, it deals with suicide and depression and loss, and it, it doesn't grapple with any of those things. There are a number of positive reviews out there I found because I wanted to, I wanted to know why, and it's because the movie... The movie and I don't want to, like, if someone took away something from this, I'm happy for them. Like, if, if they took away a positive reaction from this, like, cool. I'm, I'm glad that they got more out of it than I did. Man, this, this movie touches on very serious, difficult subjects. For a movie that should be entirely built on intellectual curiosity about an interesting idea, this movie has no intellectual curiosity about all the things that are tied into that central idea. Okay, uh, I'm going to give them not the benefit of the doubt, but I will say that Will Harper, the Jason Siegel's character, begins adamantly opposed, going, "No, like you, please don't do. Like your your life is worth more than this, you know." And yeah. and that begins from a, from a very healthy perspective, right? And I think that there definitely were opportunities in this movie where they could have sat down and not in a not a pedantic way, not you know, not not sit down in after school special kind of way, but really sit down and earnestly go like, you know, no life, this life, the life you have right now, no matter what good is waiting you, waiting for you, you can make worth of this life, no matter what mistakes you've had, would be a beautiful message. I bet, I bet it could actually work really well here. And the problem with that is, is that their entire premise turns on the ending. I mean, the ending for me, like really, that was, that was when I, I had like, oh, like, I don't know, like this movie has like some worth, but then the ending goes and goes, oh, well, none of that matters because nothing matters because you can always live whatever life you want. Um, so we won't even talk about suicide anymore because that's not even the focus anymore because, because what? Because you can have parallel parallel universes for as long as the eye can see or as long as the mind can stand. Like there's no limit. And when you have, again, no consequences no limits, no lessons. I don't know what to take from this movie. I don't know what to take beyond, God, I hope there's a parallel universe when I die. Also, fuck, just go see Primer. Just, like, just go watch I'm Primer. I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. Yeah, like, that's a, go watch Primer. It's or, like, I can give you, I am a sucker for movies that either deal with this stuff well or are just fun genre, genre exercises about interesting sci-fi concepts. Either direction, there are great examples of both coming out, which is why this is such a 
why this bothers me so much because it's neither <laughs> is yeah. what little weight it has it undercuts at the very end i'm not gonna go like i wouldn't go so far as to say as it makes suicide okay because it never even thinks on that level like but it definitely gives you like uh unspoken permission at the end it, uh, yeah. it gives those characters permission like well you know what like you can just keep cycling through until you find the timeline that's right for you there is no more damning evidence of how quickly this movie disappeared and how popular 13 Reasons Why is that nobody talked about the suicide element in this movie, and it's such a big thing with 13 Reasons Why. That was a series, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a television series based on a, a book. Yeah, so this goes back to our my earlier argument against Netflix content is that I think that happened because there are how many episodes of it and people could watch it for longer. People could stem, you know, really just steep themselves in the bullshit that was that, apparently. I'll, I'll give you a hint, Kyle. It's uh, it's called 13 Reasons Why. Yeah, you know what? Why did I even ask? I... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, so for 13 episodes of going through that and considering that and trying to see if it could redeem itself, of course that was going to contain more of the con- cultural conversation than this one bad indie sci-fi film. But regardless, like, Another Earth does something kind of similar in terms of coming to grips with something terrible that's happened, uh, but there might be a parallel universe out there. Um, I've mentioned Upstream Color and Primer, Eternal Sunshine. Like, if you've not seen any of those movies, I would watch those first before seeing this, um, just because of how much this cribs from it. There was an earlier draft, I, I mentioned to you this earlier, where Will's name was Joel. Who was the protagonist of Eternal Sunshine? That, like, what? <laughs> that that's the kind of stuff my friends called out. My my friends in high school called me out on. Like, you know, you only changed one name from the guy in Lord of the Rings, right? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, and I know that they changed it to to be fair, but like, oh man, you know the the similarities <laughs> to Eternal Sunshine, especially in the opening scenes, are so so similar. Yeah, I, I feel bad that we've taken such a negative tone. I will say that we wa- we both watched this pretty recently. It could, we could mellow out in a few weeks, but I I don't think I'll. It won't turn into fervent passion. Um, if anything, I'll just think it's, about it's because it tries to have one of those endings. That's like really yeah. That's the ending more than anything. That is like supposed to be an emotional punch and this clever twist. On Let the Right Films in Prime, we have talked numerous times about how a movie with a twist has to still work after you know what the twist is. I would be so angry on a second viewing of this. Yeah, this twist didn't even work on the first viewing. You see what's coming a mile away. It, it, It is a lot. It is more similar to the this entire thing took place in someone's head than it is uh oh he is actually his father or he is himself um because none of the events are real right Nothing none of matters. the events even took place yeah no there again no consequences and so when you have a twist like that it doesn't make you reconsider a character differently or how oh you know this conversation is completely different in this light nothing matters there's no why would you even watch it again? It was just a parallel universe. You could have watched anything. Whereas this film wants to lecture you, uh, inform you, and then deceive you to the point that you don't ever want to listen to the lecture or the explanation ever again. <laughs> Except the le- the lecture isn't that smart. Uh, the yeah. deception is pretty transparent. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I think... <sighs> 
I feel bad for going that far in on it, but um, I had I had really high hopes for this, and I think they they could do good work again. I mean, the one I love, I I, I really recommend everyone going and listening to that interview because, uh, but listen to this podcast first, obviously. Um, but they they did the one I love in just like a a few months, like they and they had the location first and had to build a script around the location, but a really damn good movie with those restrictions in place um so you know that's interesting so this doesn't even this this can't even be chalked up to the sophomore slump thing no yeah no it was just i i think this is just a poorly executed idea um but hey maybe next time right now like (laughs) you know what i say all this i will still watch the next charlie mcdowell movie oh yeah Um, absolutely again like incredible debut don't ever want to watch this movie again, but hey, let's let's wait and see. This is nitpicky, and so like I'm only going to mention this now that we're at the end. God, what a dull movie to look at. <laughs> really unfortunate decision to make the uh, memories uh, black and white. <laughs> Just because there's no color anywhere else, at least make the afterlife look interesting. Like even the blues that pop up are super dull. It's just such a colorless movie. I, I wish I could come up with a more eloquent way to end the podcast, but I, I have to speak my feelings, you know? Gotta speak truth. You just gotta we're, let it out. We're truth tellers on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, even no, though Kayla no. has passed away, RIP, may she rest in Paramore. Oh my god. I have to go. <laughs> I have to go. I have to leave. <laughs> you enjoyed that you can find all of our work at ltrfi.com you can find us on all the various social networks but all the information you need you can find there at ltrfi.com we'll be back next week with a new recording on a different subject with the guests to be determined we'll find out stick around to see please rate review and subscribe tell your friends email us to suggest topics or guests or i don't know uh give some cat tv some tips because you think she's lacking Anyways, we'll see you next week.